<laughs> Most people yeah. want to keep doing something in the thing that they know. It's take your experience and put it into something you don't know because that's where your pat where your passion lies. But take your experience with it so you learn. Because if you're not curious and you don't have something to learn, you're not going to bring your best self. Because you're not going to strip all this way. You're like, I know this. That's the thing. So <laughs> most people would have taken a very safe kind of leap in their career. So for you, why did you go do that? The iPod, Nest, Gentle Magic, Beats, Ledger. The the list is almost nearly endless. Uh, LVMH. Uh, the two guests that we have today are some of the most remarkable people in tech, and they worked on some of the most iconic products, both in technology. And in culture, uh, Ian Rogers and Tony Fidel uh, were two people who we have wanted to get on the show a very, very long time. Um, Tony Fidel, legendary for his role in the creation of the iPod, Nest, and multiple, multiple other companies and products, and Ian Rogers, uh, who has a career in music and entertainment, uh, and then building Beats at Apple, uh, and then taking LVMH into the digital age, which has a lot of great stories about. And then, of course, now working on crypto with Ledger. So, Arthi, I don't know, this was such a blast. And we had to do this very, very early in the morning uh, because they're both in Paris. So you see the uh, the bright sunlight, early morning sunlight uh, shining into our eyes. But Arthi, what stood out for you this episode? Um, I really like this episode. I think, uh, for me, the favorite parts, it made me feel nostalgic for this time. Uh, in Silicon Valley, in technology. Not that we actually lived through that time, but just hearing their stories um, on how, for example, Tony talked about working with Steve Jobs um, and what was Steve like and uh, his obsession with, like, he was opinion, he was very opinionated, not data centric, which I thought was like a great distinction. Um, early days of building the iPhone early days of uh, starting a startup with Nest, uh, you know, you don't see often somebody who goes from working at Apple, building this like flagship product, and then being like, well, okay, now I'm going to go start this startup. And so just walking through the journey, uh, I thought that was really fascinating. And then, you know, they talked about uh, LVMH, uh, you know, Dr. Dre, music influence, uh, Jay-Z, they kind of dropped some Jay-Z intel. Yes. <laughs> and so it, it's just this like wonderful, warm, nostalgic episode mm -hmm. of how the tech, the technology world and the arts world come together, which I thought was just really interesting. I, I agree. And I think uh, two things. One, everything you said, the nostalgia of some of these classic products and uh, that we really grew up with. Uh, I read a couple of things. Uh, the first is uh, they worked with, you know, two of the most interesting people in business over the last hundred years, right. uh, Steve Jobs and Arnaud. And the similarities and mm -hmm. the differences in the stories are amazing. So there's some great stories, including Bernard Arnaud actually being into crypto and collecting NFTs. So mm -hmm. uh, get to, let, let's get to that part. And But maybe what we'll start with, and I think this is probably the best part of the episode, was this is great friends. Yes. And they have a blast and they're having fun and yes. they have a great relationship. Yeah. Uh, like a lot of great relationships, it starts in Paris and that chemistry energy, there are moments when they take over the episode. It's their episode, not our episode. That's right. Uh, That's right. I think uh, the common theme, the, the underlying theme of the whole episode was just their incredible friendship. And you will see that through the episode too. It's just warm and funny and just beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. So here we go. Uh, Tony and Ian, enjoy. Gentle magic. The iPod, Nest, the Beastie Boys, Beats Music and Apple Music, LVMH, and of course Ledger, and Tony, your wonderful book, Build, which we really, really want to get into. But what makes this episode truly special is not only are you both legends in your own right, that you both are just fantastic friends and you have a wonderful relationship, which like a lot of other relationships, I think started in Paris. So maybe that's a great place to start. So Tony, Ian, how did you two meet and why Paris? We'll always have Paris, Ian. We'll That's true. Paris. <laughs> and, 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 th and, thanks, and thanks to Bradley Horowitz. So, exactly. Bradley. I mean, I, I think when we both moved to Paris around the same time, just kind of, that was just dumb luck, maybe timing. Maybe there's something more cosmic to it, you know? I, I think as being sort of like reverse um, pioneers, in a way, um, you know, our, 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 you know, 
our ancestors once upon a time left Europe to come to America, and we both left America to come to Europe around the same. <laughs> you know, when we got here, everybody was going, "What are you guys doing here?" Everyone's yeah. like, "You're crazy!" Everyone's trying to go to the valley. Everyone's going to California. How are you guys coming here? Exactly. Anyway, Tony, being you know much more famous than me, when I moved here, I came directly from Apple, you know, to LVMH. That's why I moved here. I, I you know, we had sold Beats to Apple, um, built Apple Music, and I get this phone call. Um, you know, uh, from a recruiter about a job at a, at a at a big conglomerate that I've never heard of called LVMH. Um, <laughs> but I was a quick study. I figured it out. And really, like when I met the people was like, it was interesting to me for so many reasons. Um, and so I said yes, and I came over. And then as soon as I did, people were saying, oh, you must know Tony Fidel. Like, no, I don't. I don't know Tony Fidel. Oh, and then I bump into someone else. Oh, you, I, you moved to Paris. You must know Tony Fidel. I'm like, I don't know Tony Fidel. <laughs> and finally, Bradley, Bradley Horowitz asked me that question, and I blew up at him as I was like doing at that point because I was so tired of hearing this guy's name. And and Tony and Bradley said, "Would you like to meet him?" I was like, "Yes, you're the first person to actually offer an introduction." Um, and so that he introduced great. us, and then we would go back and forth on you know on, on a email thread a couple times, and it turns out. We're taking our kids to the same class at the same school for the first day of school. And then nice. I, I, exactly. wow. we've been like, really, I don't, I don't think we quite got separated. And then I think also during the pandemic and it's related to ledger, but we, we really didn't see anybody else, you know, that right. pod right. family. So we, stuck with pod. Each other. we had our special pod. Lucky, lucky right. me, by the way, like incredible. So. <laughs> That's awesome. I, I was going to ask, you know, what, it's one thing to get introduced and meet each other. It's another to, uh, developed this friendship over the last few right. years. Uh, what was it? Is it, you know, you're from Michigan, you're from Indiana. Exactly. Uh, Midwest, baby. Midwest yeah, exactly. music, Midwest it music? And music yeah. digital music, culture, <laughs> coming right. to Paris. You know, we, right. you know, like we, we still don't speak French very well, but we, you know, but <laughs> we talk to each other too kids, much. Like there was, I, I can't tell you how many different things lined up. It was literally right. like the stars aligned. So many hobbies, so many tech interests. There were so many things. That's awesome. Right? Uh, That's awesome. You know, there's so much amazing uh, stories to unpack in both of you because you've been both involved with so many iconic products, companies, and people. Uh, but let me maybe start here. Uh, in basketball, there is a meme question that interviewers often like to ask, where there is, if you have one shot to save the universe, who do you want taking the shot? So let me ask you a variation of that. If you have one founder to run a company to save the universe and you have to pick between Steve Jobs or Bernard Arnault or Jimmy, who would you pick and why? That is a really great question. <laughs> I'm just going to start by saying I never worked with Steve Jobs, so I'll let, I'll let Tony answer that. Um, although I did work at Apple with many people who did work with him, I saw so many similarities between Jimmy Iovine and Bernard Arnault. Starting with fundamentally, okay, so Ben Arano, when I started working with him, was the 15th wealthiest man on the planet, and today's number one, right? I don't take any credit for that. I think anybody who's been in the business of helping people define themselves as individuals has had an incredible 15 years. And I don't care if that's luxury goods or Korean makeup companies or tattoos or pronouns. If you help people more clearly express who they are as individuals, you've had an amazing time in the era of Instagram, right? So it makes sense that Bernard know who's really, he has one investment thesis, back creativity with operational efficiency, right? That, that somehow gets you to number one on the Forbes list. I actually, that helps me wake up in the morning. I want to live in that world, right? The world that we come from where if the product is free, you are the product. But not on engages in a value exchange between a creator and a collector. And it's a really beautiful thing. And, but he wrote a book called The Creative Imperative. And just like Jimmy, he believes deeply in creativity, right? He believes in it so much that if you, if you help it like if you help it operationally, that it can achieve its goals. And I think Jimmy had very, very much, has very much the same goals. I've seen many times when he supported all artists beyond what made financial sense to a CFO because he believes in it long-term. And I think if you look, I mean, Celine, as an example, is one of the greatest stories in luxury over the past five years as they've gone from Phoebe Philo to Edis Leman. And it is absolutely the story of surrounding a designer with all of the right people he needs to be successful. 
Um, and I think, you know, to me, that is a similarity. Now, now, Steve Jobs, I can't, you know, compare, but also Jimmy would be the connection between all three of these. Right, right. Tony, what, what, your, your thoughts on Steve Jobs? Well, I didn't work with either, truly work with Bernard or, or Jimmy. But uh, as far as Steve goes, you know, it's also that creative element that Ian brought up is just you have to really tap into it. Now, with in the obviously there's tons of creatives in a company like LVMH. It's slightly different in the music business. You know, there are some, but it's nowhere near as big a team. LVMH has got teams, but you know, for each of the things. Whereas Apple, you know, we're talking hundreds, thousands even of engineers and manufacturing and all that stuff. It, it's a it's another scale above, I would think. I give me if I'm wrong, tell me if I'm wrong again. But compared to music and fashion, it's a whole nother scale above that. Obviously, there's still the marketing and all the other things that are very similar, maybe between them. But you, when you have that many creatives, and you have that many, it, you have to really understand the difference between opinion-based decision and data-driven decision. And Steve really held that opinion-based decision firm. Whereas maybe in a lot of times in music or in fashion or other, you have to go to the creative and let them have it and let them have their way. And, you know, they have to create the whole thing. Steve was able to take all these diverse teams, hardware, software, marketing, retail, whatever, and make sure that there was a cohesive vision for all of these creatives in those areas and made sure they understood that there were opinion based decisions and he was going to be the one in charge for those. Right. And then motivate everyone and make sure that he held the line on quality. Obviously, Bernard and, and, and Jimmy does that as well. But it was very different when you have engineers coming from an engineering background who say, oh, it's good enough versus designers who are pushing everyone else in this design world where it's all very it is technical. But it all at the end of the day, it's very much about creative first, whereas engineers are usually come from and manufacturing engineering and manufacturing first. Because yeah. it's so, it's so, so technical. And so you know, Tony, that's stuff. super interesting what you say about opinion-driven versus data-driven. And I'm thinking as you're saying it, you know, Jimmy on one hand, I mean, he was, he, he just had instinct. You know, Jimmy started his career at the age of 18 with John Lennon. He worked with Bruce Springsteen. He worked with Lady Gaga. He worked with Eminem. Like, he really worked on, on instinct. Also ambitions, I think, in all three. All three of them had you know, kind of like Caesar and Alexander the Great and Napoleon level ambitions, right? Exactly. Like not like I want to have a nice career level ambitions. And they expected everyone else to have that too. But, you know, I, I definitely, uh, here's an example story. Um, the song Happy by Pharrell, um, let's tie this back into LVMH a bit too, right? It was Jimmy who told Pharrell to put that song on the album. That was song was going to be on the Despicable Me soundtrack. And Jimmy was like, you are crazy. That song's a hit. It's got to go on the album. It's that kind of opinion driven decision. Right. That, that Jimmy just knew instinctively. It was obvious to him. He didn't have to think about it. Um, also, though, Ben, I don't know. I think one thing that is that, you know, they, he thinks about brand over a long arc. Um, ben, I don't know, told me when I first met him, he said, um, I made Steve Jobs laugh. And I was like, OK, I'll, I'll want to hear the rest of the story. It's kind of a famous story. So I'm sure some of your listeners have heard it. But he said, in 20 years, I don't know if people use your phone. I'm sure they drink Dom Perignon. <laughs> um, and, and, yeah. he, he takes a, he take and so and, and he told me also and, and I don't know Tony if you can confirm or deny but that you know Steve Jobs had told him that with the Apple stores he followed Louis Vuitton that's exactly the story I was about to tell which is really he was I remember in multiple meetings we're going to go because we want to go for that kind of shopper that discerning shopper who's really looking and and and, and technologists who are looking for the cutting edge who who will pay for value Right. And he's like, wherever those streets were, that's where an Apple store needed to be. And then ultimately, you know, that's the same thing that Tesla did and other people. But that but from a technology point of view, Apple was the first to actually say, I we are luxury. We are going to go where the luxury shopper is. And yes, our price points are going to command that extra added. And Apple came from from fashion. So it said we need the fashion quality, right? So it's all the other anecdote. All I was going to, the other one, the last anecdote I was going to tell is, you know, as we say in hip hop, real recognize real. Um, Pascal and Pascal and I took took Ledger Stacks and showed Ben Adano in December. And he really was like, I think you did it. You know, he's really talking to Tony, but he was like, this is a beautiful object. And Wait, he, you are know, you and telling me Bernard Arnault has a wallet and maybe some buying NFTs that we don't know about? Oh, no, there's no question. Bernard Arnault, I don't think he would mind if I said this. He has showed me on his own volition his OpenSea page. 
right? Nice. Which means cool. he had to pull out his phone, find it, and then take me through it. So, okay. yes. I mean, he is. That's cool. he is, wow. He is, okay. That is, that is, he's that is very that sophisticated. Is no. That is amazing. Oh, Tony, let me ask you something. Maybe put you on the spot. Sure. What do you think Steve uh, would have thought of all things crypto and NFTs today? Would he have hated it? Would he have cringed at it? Would he have said Apple should stay away from it? Should he have do- dove into it? What would he have? He done? he would understand. He would understand the under the fundamentals of the technology. Um, now I'm not going to sit here and say I could claim to you know <laughs> conjure him up, but he would understand the technology underpinnings. But I think, and much as you know, um, much as I feel about it as well, is it's still not for the mere mortal. Right. It's still not for the mere mortal. And that's where, you know, Ian and I and Pascal hooked up together to actually try to take it some steps forward. And we still have many more steps to go, just like the iPod was on digital music. And it took three, four steps before the iPod became what the iPod was, as everyone remembers it. And we are there. We're at those first stages with with Ledger Stack. So I'm and I know Ian and Pascal, we're all trying to bring that same kind of, you know, mindset to things but I, I know that steve would be like okay how do we innovate in this space because the technology is valuable but we need to be able to make it for the mere mortal maybe do you start with you you know your book bill which by the way i highly recommend and i'm just not saying this is a plug and you know one of the key parts of the book is your involvement with the ipod sure. and there's so much craft that goes in the ipod of making it feel right in your hands when you drop it it sounds right so maybe could you talk a little bit about the art craft of making the iPod feel right? Because I think that has a direct line all the way to the stacks that Ian is now holding in his hands. First, you know, I think there's one which is making the first version of a product. Okay. And so we have to go from that, which was you had to have the technology and the guts inside to be able to, and do it quickly, to be able to create the device. And so that was what the iPod was. There was enough of the bits that already existed that we could go into a whole new device area for Apple. And in terms of Ledger, also a whole new vertical or, you know, associated with the Nano, but a whole new take a risk a base decision and give it a try, right? Because this is, it's risky, you know, for either a small company and Apple was a small company too at the time, right? To go off and try to do this whole, the whole new thing and really bet the company on it. And so if you think about it, we had to have all the technology elements. And so we had, we had, we had to conjure them up from different places at inside Silicon Valley and around the world and, and put them together. Whereas Ledger actually had all of them already under, because security is so important, already was working on it six years and it was battle tested. So it wasn't just like it was anything. So I already had these great building blocks to, to start with. So that was the first thing. Then after that, you go, okay, we need to figure out how to make sure this is an incredible user experience, right? And that doesn't just mean physically. That also means, you know, the whole customer journey. And so at Ledger, I was able to take the stuff, literally we did at Nest. And plot out the whole customer journey and walk through that just like we I have in the book. What were all those steps? And Ian and the whole team embraced that customer journey. And we really went and, 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 and broke up all of the, um, the existing stuff, re-looked at it and said, how do we put it all back together to make this sync? And so that was really you know, what I've learned at, at iPod, which was we started with kind of the product and, and the hardware software combination, iTunes and iPod. But then over time, because Apple didn't have retail yet, it was all the retail and all the good stuff on the marketing front and everything else. We got to do all that at Ledger. How do you give people advice on, you know, what not to tackle right now? How do you how do you not boil the ocean and know that, you know, some of these things which actually might be, you know, the things that help you cross the chasm are things that you aren't going to tackle for a year or two even? You know, you really can only have three or four marketing you know, differentiation points in it. And so I always tell everyone, you have to make sure you're telling the story at the beginning and and make the press release and make sure you understand the differentiation. And so you could have a list of a hundred things, but you can only communicate three or four of those things to people. So every time, as you know, Ian, when we were going through this, we were always thinking about the marketing at the same time. What are the key messages? What are the key messages? And, and making sure we were driving that differentiation. And anything else that was beyond that could fall away and be on the roadmap for future versions, right? Before Apple, I was always, you gotta add more features in. And we all know the feature creep thing. 
And that was the genius of that. And that's what that's what killed General Magic. Right. Everybody should watch the General Magic movie. Yeah. Agree. Yes. Yes. Amazing movie. Yeah. Yes. Yes. You got to watch it. Right. The yep. General Magic movie. Yeah. So I was going to ask perfectly. you. Uh, so, Tony, I was going to ask you exactly that. Right. Like, you know, you come from General Magic Phillips. Then you look at Apple and at, Apple at that time is not the Apple of today. Right. You know. Yeah, uh, you look at the you know, balance no, sheet, the finances. I know I, people you know, forget this. When Tony went to Apple, yeah. it was a ten dollars stock with less than two percent market share. Is that right <laughs> and, or wrong? And you know, that's right. Yeah, it was. But that I'm time. not taking credit for it. I just want to make sure. No, I'm just saying. <laughs> right, right. So at that time, you know, Apple had the Mac. They had Steve Jobs. You came in. Um, there's this whole vision on this product. You know, it took you a while to get convinced that yeah, okay, this is a thing that I want to go do. What is the thing that you saw, you know, at that time, you know, there was no, none of the Apple marketing stuff. There was like none of it. So what did you see in the future of this? It's, a, it's an incredible bet because if somebody had told me, here is this company that builds this laptop, that's going to build this like, music player system thing, it's going to change the world. Yeah. Hey, bet on yeah. it, okay? Like, you know, you come from General Magic, you come from Philips. And don't forget that. And, and both forget of those, one was a huge disaster failure, right? The other right. one was a critical success, but a business failure. Right. And we had the internet fallout, internet 1.0 fallout of April yeah. 2000, right? Yeah. And Apple is struggling. It's in debt. It's barely break even, right? Yeah. And yep. it's been trying to compete against Microsoft, right? So, so what did you see? Setting all the, exactly, setting all those things He was up. like, why? It's better than real networks. <laughs> Ooh. Oh my goodness. Oh, wow. We'll move on. Uh, I was there okay. too. That's what um, I was saying. <laughs> sorry, sorry, Rob, if you're so, watching. So, so the next, the, the real thing was, I, I, I spent four, three, four weeks trying to make sure I wanted to go there because it's like I had already spent 10 years in disasters, right? Why am I going to go do this again? And it was really the final conversation that I had with Steve, which was, look, I know we can build this thing. You're going to have enough money. It's not that expensive. I'm, you know, we'll get it done in a, a, a good amount of time. And I knew from Phillips and they cancel projects really fast, right? It was like more projects were canceled than ever shipped there. Like 90% of everything's canceled. So I'm like, how is this not gonna get canceled? And I said, and let's say we can make it, but I've learned through Phillips and General Magic, I can make just about anything that, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll put, you know, put my butt on the line for. But at the end of the day, how the hell are we gonna sell it? Because Phillips couldn't sell anything but CD players and TVs. Because that's why we were critical, because we weren't a business success. And he looked at me and he said, we're going to take the entire Apple marketing budget. And we're going to take at least two quarters, if not three, of the entire budget. And we're going to dedicate it to only this product. If, it, if you deliver what you say you can deliver, if you do that, we'll dedicate it. And I was like, okay. And then, you know, and, and the way Steve interacted in the meeting and how he was like, did it. And I knew that like Apple was there. You could feel like there was this, we still had to prove ourselves. This was not a fait accompli by any means. So we had to work really, really hard and prove ourselves as a team of 35 people in this, in this yeah. large, At that time, was your thought process like, yeah, okay, it, it seems okay. Like, let me spend a year trying to build this out and see where it goes. Or are you like, I'm all in, like, this is it. Like, you know, this is going to be the greatest product. Like, what was your mental no, state? No, no, like, it's what both. Your conviction it's like? both. Okay. Well, okay. I'm going to tell you, I'm going to tell you, Tony, Tony has one speed. <laughs> there's one there's one gear on this machine uh, can i point out, can i point out a fa i've heard this uh tony correct me if i'm wrong the you were obviously a consultant at apple at the time you weren't even a full-time employee if i'm correct That's but right. the first prototype version was done in six weeks if i'm correct right like no, no, no so 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 the the, the the i put together the the kind of the outline and all the drafts and everything we didn't have anything working yet but all the pieces in six seven weeks and then it was seven months later, eight months later that it actually shipped. So it was in the green light was at the end of March and it shipped at the first or it was announced the last week of October it shipped the very next week. Wow. Which is crazy for a product which- With a whole changed. new team and a whole new set of technologies and everything. That is a crazy story. The fact that iPod would change technology and music and so much of, you know, probably the, you know, led to the iPhone and so much else 
happened in less than a year. That blows my mind. Uh, yeah, and we were, we were, you know, Apple was still struggling, so we didn't have, we couldn't marshal all the resources, and we were totally top secret. We, what, the real team that really knew what we were doing and helped a lot was iTunes, with Jeff Robin and iTunes. And so we were, you know, we made that happen. But literally, the rest of Apple, we were blind. In fact, a lot of times, um, uh, people didn't believe us, and they didn't want to help us, because, like, we got enough to do. What is this little thing? Because Apple actually had another product uh, project, a small little remote control kind of thing. And it died along the way. They're like, oh, this is going to die too. We only have so many priorities. So Steve had to call in and go, uh, you're going to give them what they want, right? You're going to help them, period. You call it, That executive air cover is really important when you have these little tiny baby things going on. And that's the same thing that happened at Ledger. Ian and ultimately Pascal stepped in and go, Tony and the team need this. You will make it happen or else. Yeah, <laughs> and, and really... by the way, we, we did have to you know, really carve out a team, bring in new leaders, bring in people. Um, in fact, you know, I think maybe uh, Tony's first hire on the iPod team worked with us on this device. He's got stories. I should interview him. Um, the... We have a few people from the iPod team, a few people from Nest, a few people from even General Magic on the Ledger team. Yeah, and, and so we, but, and to Tony's point, we did have the executive air cover. We did carve out a team who was dedicated to this. Now we're actually folding those things back together, right? Um, so, you know, there, there are things that were verticalized for stacks only that are, that are becoming mutualized. And a lot of that culture that, um, that Tony's talking about is, is coming through. And I think that's really something that, that we brought to this. I think, um, you know, the security, the uncompromising security, you know, culture of Ledger plus this uncompromising user experience culture of Apple is really what we're, you know, trying to put together here. And there's a, a very specific reason, and Tony alluded to it earlier, it's just because we're early, that those two things, you know, don't always fit together. I think you can see it in some of the other products in the market, right? They have, they have compromised on security and self-custody to get to ease of use. But the thing with digital assets, like if we're living in a digital asset future, then compromising on security and self-custody won't be possible. Right. It's like, you know, um, compromising on the Internet in 2002. Right. And saying we should oh, tell the story about how I did the due diligence for for me or for you to take. The yes. Job so, so you, you want to you uh, tell this is when Ian is thinking of joining Ledger. Ian has moved to Paris, has had a bunch of croissants and is thinking of joining Ledger. So, yeah, he was uh, leaving LVMH, not just. Yeah, so I, I've been here. LVMH. I've been here for five for five years working at LVMH for five years. And really, I had a great job. I had a great job. People thought I was important. So what was the due diligence process like? <laughs> um, I want to so, know. You know I look, right when I, like what I said, right when I moved here, I met Pascal Gauthier. And Pascal was, when I met him, was a seed investor in this new little French company that makes these hardware wallets for crypto, like put your tinfoil hat on now called Ledger, right? And I was like, oh, that's interesting. But I, you know, I coming from where I come from, I was invested in crypto, but I, I didn't know why you needed a special piece of hardware for this. I'm I'm not the hardware guy that Tony is, and I and I and I'm not the security person that our CTO is here at Ledger, right? So, you know, I had to find my way. But it was really 2018 when the light bulb went off for me. It was after, you know, kind of we we'd all like altcoins had gone bananas and then gone to zero and and i had this like you know forehead perspiration realization that we had absolutely <laughs> no idea what this future looked like but it reminded me right. a lot of 1998-99 where it would have been very difficult to pick like netflix and amazon out of the pack but you could kind of easily bet on cisco you could be like is there going to be more internet tomorrow or less oh i think more okay cisco right whereas you know to pick your you know, your, 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 um, your dot-com stock, you know, at that time would have been really difficult. I had the same realization here. Like, I can't tell you, you know, which of these, you know, I'm going to say altcoins, you know, is going to, it's going to like be worth something in 20 years, but I know that there will be more digital assets on the planet in the future, right? Um, if somebody wants to get their money outside the system, and I don't care if that's sneakers or JPEGs or Bitcoin, they can super easily, much, much, much more easily than they could have when we were kids, right? Um, and so then I went to Pascal and was like, all right, man, what are we doing? I went in, right? And so I talked to Pascal, like, okay, there's this, you know, he knows what he wants to do. I tell Tony, oh, I'm going to leave LBMH and, and, and go work with Pascal. And Tony's like, no, you're not. You're not, I'm, I'm going to go over there and see what's going on. And I was like, wait, no, but I, I want to make sure he's making a good decision because I didn't want him leaving Paris. I'm like, Tony, I already <laughs> said yes. I'm like, no, 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 no. Let me tell you what I think. And so then I just started noodling on all kinds of product ideas. And then I wasn't even part of Ledger. I was like, no, no, guys, no, no, don't do that. Do this. And they were like, oh, we're going to do this. I'm like, no. And so anyways, I just couldn't put it down. When Ian asked or I asked him, I said it helped him. 
I also bought all the, the incumbent devices, all the competitor devices. Yeah. I was like, yeah. oh my God, my brain's going to freaking fry. <laughs> like Ledger was the best of them, and for sure, yeah. by far. But I was like, all yeah. these other ones suck. I'm like, oh, this is the competitive set? It reminded me of thermostats when I was starting Nest. I was like, ah. And also MP3 players, for that matter. I was like, oh yeah, I remember tearing apart all the... I'm like, oh. And so all nostalgia came back and I was like, oh, this reminds me of 2001, 2000, because I was doing MP3s in 1998, 1999. So I remember that whole time. I'm like, oh, it just woke up this, you know, uh, it woke me up. And, and, and I, was I, like, I actually I think I have an idea. And for your, <laughs> for your listeners, I mean, really, like there's I mean, and I, I'll say this with you in the room. There's no one like Tony Fidel. Right. And like oh. the, And I think that that drive and it, it is it comes from inside. Right. So there's a there's the part in his book where he talks about when he has an idea, he runs from it. And if it chases him down, look, I think I actually think that um, and, and it's also he's a human being. Right. And so I think part of this is because we're friends and he, he genuinely didn't want me to go down the wrong path. Right. Another part is his natural curiosity. It's not just like, hey, Tony, we need a new device. Tony actually noticed that because his what he said to us was he said, look, the device you're making is going to be expensive and sexy, the one you have for the future. The one you have now is cheap and ugly on a relative basis. Someone's going to come in with a little less expensive and sexy, and they're going to be eating off of your plate all day. So to me, that is that like it's both. I always say Tony's the only person who can design both the circuit board and the billboard. Mm -hmm. right, that, yeah. That's yeah. So Tony, you said that too once and that really blew me away because, you know, we work, we both work in the world of software, we builders, when you look at it, it's very um, uh, segmented, you know, engineers do this, product people do this, you know, you, right. you have, you have like you have these very specific swim lanes for people. Sure, sure, uh, sure. And then, you know, and you also have this like software life cycle, like, you know, you right. go from like one to the other right, and right, then right. like you hand it off to marketing. But you look at the whole thing as like, well, I look at the circuit board, I look at the billboard, I have to like map the whole journey in my head. Mm -hmm. uh, and and uh, this is at the inception of the project even. This is not even like somewhere between that. So to me, like one of the reasons I loved your book is uh, you see a lot of these books that are like business speak and it's really annoying, right? It's just like these, oh, blah, 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 this is how you build startups. And, and then I look at it and go, what have you done? And in your, in, your, in your case, you have real stories. You talk about building things, how, it, how difficult it was. You talk about schematics. You talk through you know, the iPod, the whole journey. And then to go start a startup, which I can, I can imagine is probably not that easy to go, you know, come, for, come off of that into this, I'm an entrepreneur, I'm going to roll up my sleeves and get into my garage and like start tinkering and building this thing from scratch. How was that whole point for you going from, you know, greatest hit, one of the biggest product that you'll ever see to, oh my God, have I like screwed it all up? Yeah, to a thermostat. Into right. a thermostat. Because oh, yeah. <laughs> when we heard about it for the first time, we were like, wait, that's like, that doesn't like. Wait, it is doesn't that, click. Is that a thing? Yeah, exactly. Like, and that's and exactly why it's great. Because <laughs> it doesn't click. Most people yeah. want to keep doing something in the thing that they know. It's take your experience and put it into something you don't know because that's where your, pa where your passion lies. But take your experience with it so you learn. Because if you're not curious and you don't have something to learn, you're not going to bring your best self. Because you're not going to strip all this way. You're like, I know this. Like if I was to make another phone, I know this. I'll do it this way. Samsung came after me saying, we want you to build our phones now. I'm like, no, I don't want that. That's not interesting. It's just another revision. You know, like, let, let me tell you, the difference between iPod Gen 16 and iPod Gen 18 is definitely not a, you know, a mental That's the leap. thing. So most people would have taken a very safe kind of leap in their career. So for you, what, what, why, 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 what was the story behind Nest? Like, why did you go do that? <laughs> okay, so just, just to step back, I had multiple startups before, uh, before General Magic. So I had already, I'm, I'm not a corporate guy. <laughs> Ian's not a corporate guy. Whenever we talk about being in corporations, we just can't, we just, we're enfant terribles. You know, we, we, we sit there and we break up everything. Well, I'm much more bull in the China shop. Ian knows how to definitely like how to make it all work. I never get along at, at, at many of the places he was at. 
no, seriously, I already had all this culture of risk taking, just like Ian has had a culture of risk taking. Yeah. You mm. get into stuff before it was it because it was our passion, it was because of our curiosity, whatever, and it just led us there and we got all these experiences because of it. And that's why I think we resonated so much when we got along because we were always out it, on the weekends, we would just talk about new and different technologies, new and different markets and putting things together and thinking about them. It was never about just an evolutionary path. And so for me, I've never had, I've, mine was always, follow my passions, follow my curiosity, follow what I want to learn, right? Just like, just like Ian did, I believe he did the same thing. And in, in a lot of cases, and I know that you can tell the story, I put myself in positions where I didn't know the hell I was doing, but I just, cause I was curious, I said, I'll do it. Like at Phillips, I was like, I had just been a low level engineer and said, oh, now I'm going to run a team and where I'm going to build a whole device because I think I saw how to do it at General Magic. And I did it and it was a, freaking nightmare, but I figured it out because I put myself in the position and I believed in myself and I believed in the idea so much. That's the same way every organization gets built or changes or people change. It's because they believe in it enough to go and go through that hard times to get to the other side of learning because that's the only way we do. Do fail, learn. Do fail, learn. It doesn't happen any other way. You can't just sketch it all out. And Ian, you have many stories like that in your past, right? No, I think top uh, spin or yeah. No, my look. I mean, I, I, depending, on, depending on how you count, you know, I've done thirteen startups myself. You know, we sold we sold you know Winamp to AOL in '99. We sold one to Yahoo in 2003, and then we sold Beats to Apple in 2014. But I've also failed, you know, more times than I've than I've succeeded. And, and I have kind of changed careers. I did 20 years of digital music. I did five years of, of, of luxury when I knew absolutely nothing about luxury. Mike D from the BC Boys, when I um, took the job at LVMH, he was actually one of my, my three references. When I said yes to the job, he said, Ian, everything you know about fashion, you learned from Jay-Z songs. Right. Um, you know, meaning I was totally unqualified to go work for LVMH, which is true. And but I actually think that until you know, now, now Jay Z's working for them. Yeah. I, 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 by the way, Benato no gave me some Jay Z Alpha the other day, which I won't share. But how amazing is just that sentence? Um, oh, the, okay. <laughs> oh, come on! Like, such a tease. I can't. I, I really, truly, I really, I truly, truly can't. But the um, you know what, Ian? Can I can I disagree with you because I think you're underselling yourself because I I was thinking about I agree. for the you know I was preparing for the episode and I was trying to there's so much connective tissue between the both of you but one is and Ian is uh, Tony we're meeting for the first time but Ian are known for a while Ian is one of the coolest mofos I know ever right and the beastie boys uh, beats and but he's kind of one of the few people who kind of bridged the world of cool and the world of like tech and crypto and really going into it. So and maybe, still saying a really great, cool person, like, you know, just talk to and just hang out with. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. So oh, Midwestern, baby. The Midwestern well, roots. I, I, Midwest. I, 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 never, I never think you're bigger than you are, you know? Uh, so I want to turn this into a question, maybe starting with Ian. You know, you have been involved with uh, projects, companies, bands, people who have known how to manufacture cool. Right. And I think that's a connective tissue between Jimmy to the Beastie Boys to Arnaud. Like they're, uh, they're all cool. And, you know, and I think, you know, it, with Ledger, you know, it could have a shot at making crypto cool. So what do you and that's cool is not a word we usually associate with tech, um, with sort of the left brain nerdy stereotypes we have. So uh, and maybe starting with you, Ian, what do the rest of us not understand about what it takes to make something cool? Wow. Um I was going to say, you can't buy it. You can't buy taste. You can't buy creativity. It, it, that's ex that's exactly right. And I think that there is some, there's a couple of big themes here that it would be, I would be, I would say would be useful to your, to your audience. One is the world is changing. And that's what I meant when I, you know, the Forbes list is not like, you know, the, the measure of success, you know, in, in a human way. Right. But I do think there, it does say something that Ben Otto know is there because of exactly what you just said. The fact that somebody who invests in creativity can be there says something about the moment we're living in. I also think, you know, what we said earlier about Tony from the, you know, from the circuit board to the billboard, that's, you know, it, that's what Steve Jobs, you know, really represented as well. If you read the introduction to the Walter Isaacson book, it's all about that kind of balance of tech and creativity. Jimmy Iovine and Dr. Dre started the Iovine Young Academy at USC to, to exactly create those things. Now, 
totally by accident because I changed majors midway through my college career. I have a Bachelor of Arts in Computer Science from 1994. When I got it, people were like, oh, you almost got a computer science degree. You know, but now it is actually, I think that that's the thing. That's what's changed in the society that we live in today. You know, my daughter, um, you know, wants to go study mathematics or engineering at a liberal arts college. I think that's exactly right. Right. So I think there is something to having that balance. Right. Because if you're only in the creative arts, then you've got one arm tied behind your back because you don't understand the tools of production. And if you're only an engineer, then you're doing work that ChatGPT could do. Right. So I think that, that I think that that is I think having that having that balance. The other thing I'll say is like it's just like living it. And I think Tony and I are probably super lucky because we are obsessive people. Like, I don't know how to do anything part way. The reason, and that's like at every step in my career, the reason that I ended up like, you know, getting kind of drafted, you know, on tour with the Beastie Boys in the mid nineties was because I couldn't just like make a Beastie Boys website. I had to make the greatest site on the internet, right? I, I you know, and, and absolutely every thing that was possible. The reason they called me is because they played Letterman and I managed to get a quick time video of their performance. I think we're talking 1994. We got a, I got a quick time video of their performance on the internet in 1994. Imagine that, um, before the show aired on the West coast. And so like, that's oh. the kind of obsessive, you know, it's like, so it's that combination of kind of obsessive compulsion, you know, with this like genuine love of creativity. And now like, you know, I, if you look at, you know, my, my NFT gallery, like you see the same obsessive weirdo, right? Like where was I at 7 PM last night? I was pausing my commute to sit on a park bench and mint, uh, you know, Rupert Rainisto's, uh, reworld AI art at, at a pretty, uh, you know, big price, right? Because I'm, and maybe I'm throwing money into the wind. I am honestly not sure, but what I am is passionate. Right. And I, and I, and I believe, so I don't know for, for, for better or worse. And, and like, not everybody has that. I, I want to say one more thing that the, the, the Ted talk I want to give is about skateboarding because Tony mentioned failure and moving here to France. What I realized there is definitely a different culture around failure in France than we are, that we're used to. I think maybe on some level it's from where Tony and I come from, not just the Midwest, but you know, we come from rather humble beginnings. So it's kind of hard to push us all the way back to zero. You know what I mean? Um, we got a long way to fall, but, but also I think if you look at a skateboarder skating a vert ramp, they drop in and they do a trick. They can land 95% of the time. Then one, they can land 85% of a time all the way down to zero, but they fall on every single run. Tony's brother is, is this skateboarder. He's a great vert skater actually. So, you know, and, and if you notice that every time a vert skater skates, they skate until they fall, they're always finding the edge. But what that means is that the edge keeps moving, right? And when you get to that point, when you can be 11 feet above an 11 foot high ramp upside down, and not scared of what happens next, knowing that one out of five times you are gonna slide out on your knees. Once you are that unafraid of falling and failure, you're untouchable. You can do anything, right? Because you are so, you, you're actually good. You're skilled at failing. The one thing a pro skateboarder is better at than you is failing. And that's why he's a pro. So I think that that failure that, 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 you know, with, with, you know, Tony goes into the thermostat and probably everybody tells him it's going to fail and he couldn't care any less because there is no failure to him. To him, he's going to fail. He's going to win or he's going to learn. Those are the only two options. There's no failure option. So I think that's, that's gotta be a part of it too. Yeah, you're right. On the culture side, it was exactly that. And you knew what we had at Ledger was everyone's like, hey, don't try that. Don't try that. Don't try that. We had to like, no, we're going for it. And because I had failed so much in the past, not because of the successes, I failed and seen so many failure cases and gotten myself out of them or got, we've gotten ourselves out of them or we learned from them. It's like, no, we'll get that. Don't worry about that. We'll, we'll handle that too. You really have to, just like the vert skater, you have to feel confident that yes, you are going to fail, but you'll figure out, you're, you know, you know how to, you know how to fail properly and land on your knees or whatever it is, and not just like on your back. Like you, you figure out how to pick yourself up. And one thing for sure that Tony and Ben Adano, um share, I said, I told Ben Adano once a story of something that I, I got done in 
LVMH. He was happy I got done, but it was hard to get done. And in fact, everybody told me I couldn't do it and I shouldn't do it. And I, and I did it anyway. And I told him, you know, nobody wanted me to do that. Right. And he said, I love that. He said, whenever somebody tells me I can't do something, I just want to do it more. And I know that's how Tony works as well. Yeah. You talked recently about like um, the amount of effort you're putting in into Build Collective, you know, the funds there and what you would do, work that you're doing there. For us, you know, when we think about sustainability, again, we come from India, um, you know, lower economic background. When you think about sustainability, it's very, very different as a culture there versus here in the U.S., right? Like, you know, um, for us there, like growing up, reusability was a thing. Like you always had to like, do that because growing it's up, I had reusability, too. Exactly. We would get our bottle, you know, we'd get our yeah. sodas in the right, bottle and right, take the exactly. bottles back and... You know. But for some reason, you know, at least my take is sustainability is also riddled with doomerism. It's like, oh, my God, the planet is just effed, like everything sucks. It's terrible. Just this paralysis of people just sitting there, just moping. But then you come along and you are all about optimism and about, hey, don't sit still. Let's go do stuff with this. Let's go like actually solve problems. Like if you're not solving, you're against this. And I love that take. So talk to us about your efforts there on uh, collective and sustainability and what you're doing there. Sure. Well, we're, we're, we're working on sustainability at Ledger too. But um, specifically, look, we have an existential cri climate crisis that we're living in right now. We know our future generations are going to be living in it and it's only going to get worse. We're already going past 1.5C. We're going to 3C. And we're going to 3C faster than when, and we just saw the IPCC report on that. It's horrible. We are, we are cooking ourselves. We are, you know, the proverbial, you know, boiling the frog. Well, we're boiling ourselves, okay? And if you are not part of the solution, you are part of the problem. You cannot be indifferent on the existentialism of the human race, okay? We need to exist, okay? I, unless you really are, in, you know, nihilist or something like that, you want to just die, but we need to exist. So if you want to exist, if you want this planet to exist, you know, or people on this planet to exist for your future generations, you need to be part of the solution. You cannot be indifferent. Indifference means you're part of the problem. Everyone's looking for a silver bullet. There is no silver bullet. There are going to be millions and millions of changes, little changes that all add up. Sure, there are some big changes that need, but lots and lots of little things because it's just not about CO2. It's about the plastic waste that we have. It's about the bioaccumulative toxins we have in the environment. We, over the last 150 years, have created a cesspool for ourselves because we didn't ever think about a, a circular economy. We didn't ever think about this. And there's so many great things you can do with trash to turn it into treasure. There's so many things we can do on the efficiency front so we use less. Do you know 60% of the world's energy that's produced is thrown away right now? 60%. 30 to 40% of all food that we produce is thrown away right now. Just efficiencies. Doesn't mean we have to go live in a cave. We need to go and fix all the inefficiencies. We need to go work on these things and we can st and still have abundance. If we do it right and we also don't waste, it's there. So I'm very passionate about it. We all have to, we all have to do our part. Otherwise you're part of the problem and don't complain when you think about the tornadoes and what's going on in the US. Look at all the snow and rain in California. We know we're both affected. All of us are affected because I have a place there. I see all my friends there. We have it over here. There's no snow here. There was no snow this season at all. Ton too much snow in another place. It, it, it's right in our front of our face. And if you're just sitting here doing the same thing you were doing 10 years ago or even five years ago, you are part of the problem. Yeah. Um, I, I, I want to, we ask all of our guests this to wrap up. And, you know, both of you are iconic builders and it's, in, in, you know, it's, you worked on so many amazing things and you'll continue to work on many amazing things. But maybe this to wrap on, uh, if you're looking back on your career and your lives, many, many decades in the future, maybe in some singularity on a planet which is not dead because we cooked ourselves, what would you want to say, that, okay, I did that. This is what I want my body of work to be remembered as. What would that be for each of you? I think for me, the theme of my career has always been connecting technology and culture. You know, I lived in, I lived in California for 20 years and I, you know, I was literally flying from LA to San Francisco every week and you know in the 90s and the 2000s like each of those cultures had something that the other one needed 
And then I moved to Paris and I felt that way, that human bridge between sort of Paris and California in a way to, to, to connect those cultures. I think for me, I have this belief that, you know, as humans, we like to think of ourselves as these sovereign creatures that are, that are unimpacted by technology. And I'm not just talking about climate change. I think if you look at, you know, the, the career that you two have had in social media, when you reconnect humanity, you change humanity, right? The internet has, has, reconnected humanity the same way that air travel reconnected, you know, changed the connectivity in humanity. And once upon a time, you know, the Dutch shipbuilders changed the connectivity in humanity and the, um, you know, Gutenberg and the printing press changed the connectivity of humanity. And when you do, you change humanity. Tony has talked about kind of the, you know, technology as a food pyramid. And that's just, that's like, that's one example of, you know, just being mindful of, you know, how technology shapes culture, shapes humanity. And then, having a role in it, whether it's a role in your personal life or your family or, you know, the, the your, your community or the world. Um, so I, I think that's, that's where, that's probably what, where, where I live. I think one thing is never underestimate the power of the individual. So one person can make a lot of change. And so don't think you need to do everything with a, you know, a large team. You can, you can marshal a large team, but you don't need to get started with that. It, you know, the, the long journey starts with the first step, right? So first thing is believe that you can, you can do stuff and you can make big things happen. If you're passionate and you work hard and you learn through failure and you, and you, and you have the humanity, connected humanity because of you working with others, teamwork, right? It, it's leveraging. It's that, that leverage point where you get other people to work with you and allow those things to their ideas to also blend in. So that's one, one piece. So remember that human nature element of what we do with technology or anything you're doing. So that's a big one. The other one is that, as Ian said, humanity and how it, it changes with technology. I think we have to say humanity plus the ecology, right? Humanity and our ecosystems. We need to start thinking much broader about that stuff. You know, you, we each have brought to bear things that have changed the world. You know, you know what you've done at Facebook I, with iPhone, iPod, whatever it was. We've changed the planet in some way. We've, we've put a dent in the planet. But we have to remember that the planet has to also be there for us to continue this change. And we need to think broader about that and make sure we understand that, you know, I always worry now much more about, you know, the iPhone impact. And, you know, and, and, and social media and all those other packs. I'm now worrying all about AI. I'm also worried about all the other stuff that the unintended consequences, because a lot of us are passionate about it. And we do want to make sure humanity benefits from these things. And the planet continues to work with us. We work in conjunction with it. We shouldn't be living on the planet. We should be living with the planet. And so I don't, I'm not being very cogent right now, but it's much more about, it's the human connected with this larger environment, not just with the, another human, but with a larger environment and making sure that you work within that and always trying to optimize for all of that, not just one line like we have been for 150 years of how can I just affect change? What about the other, you know, the other externalities that need to be factored in? That's beautiful. I can't think of a better note to end on. Um, so, uh, by the way, I think, you know, people all know to find you, but I just want to say, Ian, go check out Ledger, and he's on Twitter, and Tony's book is just amazing. Can I make one observation? You know, there's so many inspiring things in this episode, which I think people will be moved by. But one of the things that really strikes me, you know, especially, you know, as I get closer to age 40, is it's often harder to build new friendships and relationships as you get older. And one of the best parts of this is both of you are so well accomplished, but the fact that you've built such an amazing relationship gives me hope that you can actually build deep, fulfilling relationships as uh, you get older. Maybe I need to be in Paris for that, but it, uh, it, it is. It does help. Uh, <laughs> Uh, but no, this you was know, a- we got to maybe about 30% of the questions that we wanted to ask you. So we hope to have you back at some point if yeah. you ever will come back because this Anytime. was such a blast for us. This was just this was really fun. fun. It always, yeah. always fun to be rapping with you.